What does a pharmacist do? Well, most people might answer that a pharmacist dispenses the medications that my doctor prescribes. Now, I work with a ton of great pharmacists, and one thing that I don't generally see is excitement about pills in a vial. And this is probably because pharmacists have been trained to do so much more. So what can you get excited about in your community? To find out, let's go beyond the scripts. Hey, welcome back to Beyond the Scripts podcast. I'm your host, Will Tuft, the Director of Education at Pioneer Rx. And today we're going to have maybe my favorite episode so far. We'll see how it goes. Definitely my favorite subject so far, because today I want to talk a little bit about rebels. Um, and so this is a word that as soon as you hear, you probably conjure up some kind of image, the, the James Dean troubled youth, rebellious image. Um, but I think it's really interesting how today that term has a completely different meaning because when you look at some of the titans in industry, some of the most uh, well-known businessmen in the world, Elon Musk, you would describe him as a rebel. And I really like that our generation has definitely kind of turned that verbiage from a negative to a positive. So today I have with me uh, a guest from Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, Mr. Philip Baker is going to be joining us and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, I hope you don't mind that I took that angle on this podcast, but we, uh, so we haven't actually met in person, right? No, we've never met in person. Uh, I feel like I've met you from the training videos, the pioneer training videos. <laughs> So, so I've watched Philip for a, a couple years now on uh, on LinkedIn, and every now and then I just see these awesome articles come out, and I'm like, man, that guy is shaking things up. Uh, so, really glad to have you on. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the the kind words. Yeah. So, um, Good Shepherd Health, Good Shepherd RX. I guess that's where most people are going to find you online or. Uh, find you in an office. So tell me a little bit about the the current day-to-day -day where you're at now. Well, we kind of, we, we just did some restructuring because it was sort of super confusing with all the different projects going on. But um, where we're at today is we are Good Shepherd Health. We're a population health company. And um, Good Shepherd Health is an umbrella organization that includes Good Shepherd Pharmacy, a 501c3 nonprofit pharmacy that helps uninsured patients. Halo Scripts Pharmacy, which is a for-profit um, membership pharmacy that helps insured patients. Remedy Chain, uh, which is a, a re basically a recycling platform for donated prescriptions. And Script Ride, which is a prescription delivery platform. We've got um, several different projects happening at the same time, and they're all intertwined. And so it took a long time for me to be able to explain it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we'll we'll dive a little bit into each of those. Um, so let's back the truck up just a little bit to um, you know how how you got started. So did you? Uh, I guess you probably have somewhat of a traditional. There seems to be a, a reoccurring uh, uh, progression, at least from pharmacy school to working in a chain. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I went to pharmacy school at um, UT Memphis, right here. At, at home, uh, did retail for a chain for, I was a pharmacy manager right out of school, worked for the same chain all through school, 
really loved community pharmacy. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and so I got my own store right out of school and over the course of six years, just saw that, um, just saw a big shift towards profitability <laughs> and being yeah. driven by profitability and, you know, um, just being short staffed and uh, to, to the point where I finally, I have to describe it to people in the pharmacy business. I just kind of got burned out. I got burned out with the long days and, and the relationships that I'd had with the patients. I kind of had opened my store. So I had built relationships with folks um, over the course of those years that I just wasn't able to spend time with them anymore. And so um, that led me to a, a job where I was director uh, of pharmacy for a small hospital, which was a really comfortable, awesome job. And I enjoyed that a bunch. And uh, from there, um, I started teaching a, a, a diabetes course to newly diagnosed diabetics. And in the course, I would tell my, my students, bring in all your drugs. Just bring in, you know, brown bag it, bring in everything. And I'll sit here with you for as long as it takes for me to answer all of your questions. I have all day long. So we'll just, we'll go through it. And so that's, you know, medication management in a nutshell. Um, and that service, people started getting referred to grandmas. And it was kind of a personal ministry thing that I did outside the class. I would go to, to grandma's house on the weekend, empty out her medicine cabinet. Uh, throw away half the stuff that she was hoarding, you know, that didn't need to be there anymore, or get her down to the fewest, safest, cheapest meds. And so um, in 2013, the Lord called me to start a nonprofit dedicated to doing just that, just helping with medication management, and which I did. And shortly thereafter, Good Shepherd Health snowballed into everything <laughs> that it is today. Originally, we weren't even going to open a pharmacy. It was 100% about cognitive services. Oh, wow. And, but within a couple of months, uh, an organization contacted me and said, you know, if you if you open up a pharmacy, we can provide you with 80 percent of the generic meds that you'll need for free. And uh, so in praying about what to do with that, of course, the Lord wanted me to give away medicine for free. And so we took on opening a pharmacy and fundraised for a couple of years. And in 2015, opened Good Shepherd Pharmacy in a closed down old retail mall. In a, in a space that was a Bath and Body Works before. So we retrofitted it. It was convenient. Bath and Body Works has a, they sell soap. They have lots of shelves and you need a lot of shelves for a pharmacy. All right. And so we spent our first three years there. And um, our deal was we, didn't, we don't accept insurance. We don't, we don't do any controlled substances. We don't accept insurance. We charge a monthly membership fee. Um, for that, our, our members get everything that we can get for free is free to them. If it's something that we can't get for free, then we order it for them and we charge them whatever it cost us to get it. Uh, so no markup whatsoever. Um, and in 2015, the donut hole was a big problem. And we opened in September. It was the end of the year. And really quickly, man, started adding patients just kind of flooded in on us. We, yeah, we grew yeah. to 500 members um, in 2006. By the end of 2016, we were at 500. And by the middle of 2017, we were at just shy of a thousand patients. That's that's a pretty wild progression. So, and and a relatively short amount of time, you went into like a lot of different areas where you got to see the benefits and the uh, and the drawbacks of being in a big box store and having that that huge network and uh, infrastructure to the challenges of an independent to 
more of a, uh, a hospital uh, environment, and then direct one-on-one patient interactions and patient coaching. And so you got to see like a, a lot of different areas that I feel like, um, you know, are kind of specialized that, that a lot of people don't really get to dig into. Yeah, it was definitely unique. When, when uh, my fourth year of pharmacy school, I, I never put two and two together until I heard you say that. Um, but my fourth year of pharmacy school, I did as many rotations with independent pharmacies as I could get different models. I wanted to see as many different as I could. So I've seen quite a few. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. Um, uh, right, right down to the, the bath and body works model, <laughs> um, the membership. <laughs> so yeah, there's a, uh, there's a quote from Ruth messenger that I really like, and I wanted to squeeze in here, but it's not rebels who make trouble, but it's trouble that makes rebels. So when you go through all of these different experiences, it sounds like you're able to really hone in on some opportunities to make a difference in your community. So it's interesting, like how people, because everybody sees those opportunities around them in some degree, they, they have complaints about how things could be better or ideas, but, uh, you know, how, how'd you make that leap? Make the leap. It was, it was faith. It really was. It was a, it was a call to ministry. It wasn't, you know, like a, it's it's snowballed into this big huge thing but when i made the leap it was we're going to open a charity pharmacy that dispenses medicine for free and we don't know how we're going to keep a roof over our head <laughs> yeah that's what we're gonna do. I, I see i see a couple holes in that business model yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's so ridiculous now but um but that was that was it was complete it was it it was a faith. It was trust that it would work out and trust that this is what the Lord would have me do and that he would provide. And he did, he did provide through the whole thing five years now. That's amazing. So you move into this new retail space. It sounds like you had great partners in the community. Like how, how did, how did that come to be? It, um, there was two years of fundraising that happened before the pharmacy opened. And in that time, the most impactful thing I did was I took a, a course from a local foundation, a nonprofit foundation uh, called the Assisi Foundation here in Memphis. They offered courses for new nonprofits and how to fundraise and how all these different things work. And they, they offered a year long course that I took, um, which grew me for a grant from them. Uh, and so we our first grant was from Assisi. It was twenty five thousand dollars a year for three years. So I've been promised a total of 75, 25. And with that, with that $25,000, I quit my job and opened the pharmacy. Wow. Once we, once we, the space was free for the first year. So that made, that decision was made. We won a grant from a local GE company where they sent out a whole bunch of employees to do like a volunteer day. And so we built out the pharmacy and painted everything with these 50 volunteers in a single day. It also came with like $8,000 to buy supplies. Um, and then uh, when we opened, we hadn't, I hadn't, <laughs> I didn't expect, I really hadn't hit on the membership model even. That didn't really happen until people needed so many drugs that I didn't have for free. It's like, wow, right. we're really gonna have to turn around and, and order some of this. Um, so it just, it was one thing after another. 
Yeah, it's such a, a wildly different approach. And and when you tell me the uh, the budget constraints you're working in, you know that's um, that's a stretch, man. That's yeah, that's man. that's yeah. pension it's pennies. Blessing. It's the blessing and the curse because we've done we've truly done some really innovative stuff, and all of it has come from being broke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to figure it out. Well, that's that's it, man. That's where uh, invention comes from is uh, that necessity, you know, staying hungry. Yeah. The the most innovative thing we ever did was um, when we got to a thousand patients in September 2017, we took all of them and all 5000 of their prescriptions and synchronized everything to the same set schedule. So the entire pharmacy operates under a set schedule where we do fulfillment four times a year. We staff up to, you know, every quarter to take care of it, do fulfillment, ship everything out, and then we staff back down. And um, it's a new model for population health call. We call it group synchronization. That once you make the transition, it completely changes the economics of the pharmacy business model. Um, it changes the incentives from doing more prescriptions to doing fewer. Uh, not to do, you know, to do the right prescription and uh, just the right amount of it. If a patient gets a new prescription between set ship dates, they never get a 30-day fill. They get just enough pills to last until the next ship date, and then everything goes out again on schedule in the same box. So on any given day, we know how many pills they should have in their bottle. We know, you know, the the next refill is 16 days out. You should have 16 pills. So, um there are many, many benefits that, that came out of that. But it was necessitated because we had one pharmacist and 1,000 patients, <laughs> four technicians. Yeah, and how yeah. are we going to take care of How are we going to get really, you know, hyper-efficient? Everything that we've done, not everything, but the group synchronization was the, the game changer that led to the other pharmacies and the other stuff that we're doing. That's really the thing that we do that no one else does that allows us to be transparent about prices. We we're not making anything on the drugs, but also to drive those prices down as low as we possibly can purchasing everything in one big bulk order, prepaying in some circumstances to get bigger discounts. Um, there's that's, that's kind of our, that's our secret sauce, if you will. And obviously uh, you're in a little bit different uh, model than, anybody else, uh, probably that's, that's watching this, but you know, that's those, uh, those ideas still apply. I think, you know, if, if you're working smarter, it seems like chronic care management, especially is so predictable, you know, they're coming back and, and you know, it's one pill a day or, or whatever you have that information. Uh, so organizing your workflow efficiently, uh, organizing your inventory efficiently for you, it was a necessity. And for, um, for a lot of pharmacies out there, I feel like it's uh, yeah, we're going to get to that. It's a goal um, when really I, I think we should be uh, kind of shifting that mindset. It's a necessity. Yeah, that's a kind of what we're trying to do with Good Shepherd, too, is is not build some mega central fill pharmacy. It's to prove a business model that can be repeated. And so that's really that's the that's always been the goal where we could, you know, repeat these nonprofit pharmacies that serve the poorest of the poor, but also serve the rest of the community, you know, in every major market. So, and, and I do want to plug pioneer because we wouldn't be able to do it on any other system. We, it took, uh, we started the synchronization in September of 2017 and we've continued it now since then, but we started on RX 30 and it didn't work. 
<laughs> so and so um, we switched to, to Pioneer, I think, in January of 2019. And it's 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 a Cadillac, man. It's, yeah. it's what the few things we needed fixed, uh, you guys have jumped on and changed. And it's just really, really fine tuned. Yeah, man, that's that's something that I remember when we we kind of rolled out the first MedSync um, platform. And I remember, you know, members of the Pioneer RX team spending so much time in pharmacies and design sessions, getting feedback and and continually tweaking that process. So, uh, yeah, that was that was definitely the the goal there. So it's awesome to see it, you know, on such a large scale, making an impact, uh, you know, in a community, not just uh you know, for, uh, for an individual business. So you have this, uh, this pharmacy set up, you're serving the community. Uh, where does it go from there? How are you able to, a, how are you able to make sure that it's sustainable? Um, how do you keep those relationships up? And then what was the next step of growth from there? The, um, well, the sustainability has come on the nonprofit side, just through grants and donations. Um, that's really what's kept us going um, up through through now. the The goal has been, the goal has been, and is to make to be financially self sustainable on the membership fees alone. Gotcha. However, gotcha. the game, if you will, has been figuring out a pricing that will allow that. And so, our pricing, we're a membership pharmacy, has our pricing has changed probably 17 times <laughs> we've done age-based pricing. We've done uh, group-based pricing. We've done a fixed $50 a month. We've done um, $30 a month. It's where we're at now is a membership fee based on the number of prescriptions they take, um, number of generics they take, and then uh, $25 for the insulin program and for the brand name pro programs, $25 a month. We haven't we haven't been able to figure out the pricing that's going to allow it to scale. Good Shepherd's been like this incubator where we've been able to test out all these different prices without having to yet, you know, reach sustainability because we're able to get grants and funding to support kind of the research that's going on here. Well, I feel like there's going to be grants and funding available in every community, and I, I would be hard pressed to prove where there's a better spend than preventative medication. Um, you know, have you, have you found it easy to kind of share that information? Has anybody else kind of taken what you've done and said, Hey, look, here's some numbers, here's how it worked in this model. And then, you know, kind of transferred that into either another pharmacy or have you been able to show that savings? That's been the goal. So we've been building a toolkit for just that. To, to say, okay, Dallas, if you would like to open a charity pharmacy, uh, it'll cost you an initial investment of $400,000, but after 18 months, it'll be financially self-sustainable. That'll give the pharmacy time to build its membership and partnerships up to, it's not gonna be an ongoing need. Um, and so, yeah, we built that toolkit, which looks it's all of our processes in Pioneer, but also we use a CRM, we use, you know, Stripe for billing. We use tons of different software platforms to make this thing work. And we have um, right now this, um, we have a pharmacist in Wichita, Kansas that wants to do it starting this summer. So um, we're looking to do it 
to, to do our first one, to do our first kind of, and the idea I've looked at this, you'll find this interesting, I bet, is there's two different ways we might do it. We may have that pharmacist get his own instance of Pioneer, or we may get another instance of Pioneer and set it up in his pharmacy so that my team can log on remotely into his instance, into his server and make adjustments on the back end, if you will. Uh, gotcha. To the synchronization and keeping everything, you know, tidy as it needs to be so that when we do the, 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 the bulk fill, we're basically just pressing enter and he just does the fulfillment on his end. Um, so we're looking at some interesting ways that we could kind of provide support for these new pharmacies as they, as they open as well. Yeah, man. Yeah, definitely. Keep me posted on that. Um, I mean, I, I feel like that's something that it could definitely be implemented. There's probably so many communities out there that are looking for that kind of solution to, uh, you know, for a wise spend on their budget. So, well, our 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 model is essentially this: that two pharmacists, four technicians, and a script pro robot can handle five thousand patients, and they can be financially self sustainable at that point. You know, five five thousand patients paying five bucks a month whatever 10 bucks a month the numbers play out and everybody has a job and everybody's getting their meds yeah that's awesome so that's the the main pharmacy uh so what's the next layer that could shepherd so oh, okay yeah. so two things happened after that one was um we started working with a locally self-insured employer um uh, a guy uh that i knew was a friend of mine, and uh, I, I told them, let me see your pharmacy data. I just want to see. You had a, a, a 1,500-employee company, big company, engineering firm. And um, I came from a chain and a hospital. I'd never seen the um, that side of it. And so he gave me two years' worth of his pharmacy data and started digging in to see what he was paying versus my prices. And um, long story short, we came up with a service, which is this. We, we say to the employer, okay, Mr. Employer, we're going to take all of your employees, all of their chronic prescriptions, the recurring stuff, and we're going to synchronize the entire company to the same set schedule. And we're going to give you one bill every 90 days for your pharmacy bill. Um, you're going to pay us up front for that, and then we're going to do fulfillment, and your employees will be kept on the set schedule. We do drugs at cost, which drives the spend through the floor. And then we charge a percentage of the savings that we're providing to the employer to do that. And so um, that model went so well with this self-insured employer that we were working with through Good Shepherd that um, at the end of it, we realized that we had to do a separate company. So um, if the revenue from working with employers exceeded our nonprofit revenue, we could lose our charitable status. So we had to gotcha. form another company and, and, and working with the employers to be clear, doesn't have, there's no donated meds. There's no, you know, it is purely just a cash business. So that, that other pharmacy is Halo Scripts, which we launched. Um, we raised uh, just shy of a half million dollars in seed money last March, right before COVID hit and um, started Halo Scripts. And this year we're going from our first customer who we started with last March to nine total that we have contracts with. And what we're doing is where we go into the data, we identify the patients getting the recurring stuff. The, uh, the, 
the pitch, if you will, to the employees is you don't have to use our program. It's completely optional. But if you do, there's no copays. Uh, your meds are going to come on a set schedule, on this set schedule that we're going to ship them on. And you're going to get concierge-level service from our pharmacy. We become this, the first point of contact for all the employees at the company. Oh, wow. uh, anything pharmacy, we're a text message away. And so um, that, <laughs> Good Shepherd led to that, which is Halo Scripts, which is a, a business that's doing really well now. And then also, um, really early on, like a, within the first month of opening the pharmacy, people started bringing me medicine that they wanted to donate. And they would say, you know, so-and-so was on hospice and they died last week and we have all this medicine. It's unopened. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not expired. We want to donate it to your pharmacy so that you can give it away to poor people. And that was illegal in the state of Tennessee. It was illegal in most states at the time. And so I worked with legislators for two years to get a bill passed so that we could start accepting donated prescription medications from individual patients, not just in Tennessee, but anywhere in the country. We can bring oh, wow. them in from anywhere in the country. And so um, that was kind of another rabbit hole that led to what is now Remedy Chain, which is a blockchain platform, a donation platform, where we accept donated oral chemotherapies um, that are unopened, unexpired. They have to be in pristine condition. Uh, but we can accept them as donations and we can uh, redispense them to uninsured patients all over the country. And so that started last March as well, right when COVID hit. We started uh, the, the Flip Your Script campaign, which is um, we tell people text hashtag Flip Your Script to our main number. And we auto respond them with this HIPAA compliant form that they can open up and take a picture of the medicine they want to donate. If it's something that we can accept as a donation that we can redispense, then we send them a donation form and a FedEx link and we pay for the shipping and they just drop it off and send it into us. But if it's not something we can accept, then we tell them, hey, we can't accept it, but you can still dispose of it properly. Here's some disposal units in your neighborhood that you could take it to. Yeah, if that's they, a, that, if, I was going to ask go that. go to the yeah. disposal unit and check in, to verify that they dispose of it properly, then they get entered for a $500 gift card. And um, the point of all that is to show that we can incentivize people to essentially empty out the medicine cabinet. We can capture the stuff that's recyclable while properly disposing of the stuff that's not recyclable. And we can capture the data on all of it. Because with the picture of the pills, we know we can track it right down to the NDC and know, you know exactly whose meds they are. Yeah. So um, just in case somebody is uh, stumbled across this podcast that isn't from the realm of pharmacy, mom, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like what, what kind of drugs are we talking here? We're not talking about just, you know, um, an amlodipine or, or something like that. These are medications that could be like the, the price tag on these medications sometimes is nearly as devastating as the uh, diagnosis that that caused that uh, prescription. So yeah, they're thirty to forty-five thousand dollars a month is what these drugs run. About a thousand dollars a day. That's, I mean, that's a wild amount of money. So we opened our donation platform up that that mobile donation platform up in March, and by the end of the year, we brought in three million dollars worth of reusable medication, oral chemotherapy, and we matched meds with seventeen uninsured patients. Um, and that's ongoing. We, I get three, four donated 
chemos come in the mail every week now, and we're still matching patients all over the country. Um, we're going to, this year, we're going to not just do oral chemotherapies. We're going to expand to brand name drugs and samples, um, but we haven't kicked that off yet. Yeah, that's like one of those areas where there's so much money out there. There's so much of this incredibly valuable resource um, that might go to waste otherwise. Um, so how how does Remedy Chain factor into that? How do you... Uh, how do you track those? Uh, you you mentioned the blockchain, and for anybody that's not familiar with blockchain, can you just kind of give us the the elevator pitch on that? Blockchain is a it's a new software that is it's essentially a new kind of database. It's a store of data that's transparent and which means anybody can see it and it's permanent. So once you put it there, there's no changing it, which has a lot of benefits. Um, that's probably the simplest way I can I can describe it. So for um, it's particularly suited for pharmacy data because if you think about like a drug, a drug's got an NDC number, it's got a lot number, it's got an expiration date, and now most of them have serial numbers, and so all of that data already exists, and it's pretty with with that those data sets you can track an entire chain of custody. You know which company made it with the lot number. You know what day it was made. Um, serial number tells you right down to the package. And so all that's kind of there. Blockchain is just a great way to store it. Um, but it's decentralized and the database isn't owned by, it isn't under the control of any one entity. And the concept of decentralization is where things get really crazy. <laughs> so, um, what we're doing, what's why blockchain is interesting to Remedy, Remedy Chain is this. We're recording all this prescription waste that maybe some entities would not want to see the light of day. There may be people that don't want this waste recorded. We're, we're finding a, I mean, $3 million from our little project in nine months. Um, and so by putting it on a blockchain, it's publicly available and it couldn't be shut down. It's there. It's a and and the intent is that we're building a national database for researchers. This data can be posted to a database. When we get enough waste data, maybe we can start predicting waste. Maybe we can find areas. You know, we could it, the data could identify bad actors where somebody's dumping a bunch in the market, or there's just all sorts of things that could be found in that. And the blockchain database piece is just that to be a data lake that we're, we're going to timestamp all these, um, all this waste that we're recording. Yeah. It's really, really a neat way to just think about how different supply chain can be that like once it goes to a patient, that's not the end where, you know, that can continue on. It, it's, I mean, we, we do that with, with other commodities. Um, but, but it's interesting to be able to apply that to something that we've never considered to continue that chain of custody after it's, the initial it's, I've learned, you know, I didn't learn about supply chains in, um, in pharmacy school. I've just learned like elementary knowledge of them in the last few years and explained these things. But every supply chain you study, it has, there's a way to, to end the supply chain to terminate something. Um, the pharmacy supply chain is messed up in that it, just like you said, it tracks it, manufacturer, wholesaler, patient, stop. And then the, there, 
you never know what happened to that drug. It just exists in the system. It never gets, well, it was destroyed or consumed. It never gets terminated. What we're doing with Remedy Chain is we're capturing that final data point to say it either went in a human or it went in the trash can and building a data lake around that final data point, this ter you know, the terminal destination of these meds. In the yeah. process of doing that, we had to build a blockchain system that is basically a chain of custody system that could be applied to other things, an inventory system, so that when um, when we add a when we add a medication to our inventory, we're adding it to our blockchain database that's visibly visible globally. Um, and so there's some interesting things that have come off of that uh, by built by using this new technology. It sets the stage to use artificial intelligence. And basically, the combination of blockchain data and AI is thought to be just nuclear. Like you can really do some things because you can trust the data and really trust the AI that's coming off it. So, um, I there I got went down a rabbit hole. That um, that's that's kind of remedy chain is is about reclaiming those the medications, and we want to reuse everything that we possibly can, but we want to properly destroy everything that we can't. And there should be a system, there should be a national system that tracks it. You know, why isn't Absolutely, there a, yeah. we did deposits on Coke bottles, you know, like these drugs are horrible for the environment. There should be a system where we collect back that waste. And ideally that's where Remedy Channel will be, you know, landing. Yeah, that's, you know, any trade show you go to, any conference you go to, uh, so many of the conversations are about the importance of data and that blockchain technology is such a huge collection of data that could be used for endless possibilities. You know, um, when we're a, a country that's battling an opioid epidemic, imagine being able to really narrow down those supply chains and, and have a better idea of where there's those leaks and, and, and plug those leaks. So really interesting stuff, man. Um, so what else is going on after blockchain with, uh, with those drugs? You said you're going to break into some of the uh, brand names, some of the higher cost drugs that are. Yeah. So um, kind of that, that second tier down. We're only, we're only accepting the, the exactly the next tier down. That's exactly right. So it's never going to make sense to, to recycle aspirin and could buy a thousand count for five bucks but there is a price point that will make sense and so we're going to figure out what that price point is and just working our, working our way from top down also we can like we can't just re dispense anything it is very limited it is tablets and capsules only nothing temperature controlled no controlled substances no injectables no patches tablets and capsules only um and so oral chemo was uniquely suited as a place to start for that. So as we move into brand name drugs, it'll be tablets and capsules only. But the, the intention is to get everything that we can um, and hopefully next year go back to the board and see if we can expand beyond, beyond just tablets and capsules. Yeah, and I would think that uh, your local uh, healthcare spend is, is looking for ways to save money. If you're uh, a Medicare that's paying for those crazy expensive medications, you don't want to see those go to waste again and again and again. You know, have you seen any interest from uh, the community or from, you know, any, any kind of outreach to make those connections more with uh, like state programs? Not yet. No, yeah. not, not yet. We've been kind of in the baby stages really. Um, and two, the, we're dealing with, donation and reuse laws that govern who gets what. And so 
Um, I say that to say every state has its own laws, if it has any at all. And every state determines who is allowed to get the medications within its state. So, for example, Tennessee says that uh, the, they have to be Tennessee residents who are low income and uninsured. Other states don't. They're like first come, first serve. Doesn't matter if they have insurance or not. So the the, the specifications you're kind of dancing around what you can do here and there. So it is a little tricky um, by nature with the with, with the donated meds. So what else can change? I mean, you've basically taking taking third parties out of the equation. PBMs no longer a problem. Drug cost down to uh, minimal. You're using kind of a, a, a shared cost structure with your patients, and now you're reusing and eliminating waste. It seems like you've kind of broken a lot of the traditional, well, that's just the way it is rules with pharmacy. So, you know, what else is in your sights or what do you think could be done differently in five years? There's, um, there's another project I've been working on that is um, – it's about because of group synchronization, this hyper efficiency that we have in the pharmacy. We've also got uh, we're one of the uh, a handful of pharmacies in Tennessee where um, our technicians are certified to to verify prescriptions with oversight from the pharmacist. And so, always, you know, I want to be at the cutting edge on efficiency and safety. And so, with that in mind. Um, we started a project where we're looking at uh, using artificial intelligence through Google Glasses to help a pharmacy technician count faster and safer. And it's a double verification for pharmacists. Um, the AI can verify what the pill is and, and help with the counting. It's not all that dissimilar than what we do with like an icon counting device or even the, the paradas that capture the image uh, within the machine. And import that back into the software. Uh, I love, I love the idea of augmented reality. I think, I think there's such a, a huge opportunity there that hasn't really hit yet besides like Pokemon go, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I do too. I think that I have an intuition that there's going to be, um, that pharmacies are going to be like, and you're going to have to have an Oculus Rift pharmacy. <laughs> like, you're going to have to have a site that people can go to and look at it and feel like they're in your pharmacy and it's going to be an AR. Um, just like you have a, every pharmacy has to have a website. It's going to be something else that you're going to need. Um, and it makes sense to have that to counsel patients face to face. Um, we've been working with Tuskegee University, man. I got to give them a shout out. They've been amazing um, with both their staff and and. Uh, students working on these AI and blockchain projects. And um, the Google Glass of one is, is particularly interesting because the, the counting functionality is one thing, but then once you've got that, those glasses on the technician, there's a million other really interesting things you could do if you think about it, like putting, you know, just putting stuff back on the shelf in the right place, it can assist with that. Um, so that... No one had asked me what else in a, in a long time that I haven't <laughs> talked about. I haven't talked about that one at all. It sounds like a crazy person. But yeah, I also have an AI project with Tuskegee. And then um, the the last company that I mentioned was ScriptRide. And that that's an interesting story, too, uh, because we have, you know, a membership pharmacy. At the time, our members were paying 50 bucks a month. And we did the deliveries four times a year. I was thinking it would be awesome if our own members could make prescription deliveries to pay down their monthly membership fee. 
So say you make five deliveries a month, then your membership's covered. And so we built an app that allowed us to do that, to allow us to take a pool of volunteer drivers, set them up, uh, it kind of kind of sort of integrated with Pioneer, <laughs> and um, route them all up and uh, have the deliveries made. And uh, that app was called ScriptRide. And it, the, the thought was that it would be a great tool for nonprofits of any, like obviously pharmacy deliveries, but any nonprofit that could benefit from people volunteering their, their shared ride, you know, services. Um, and then COVID happened and people didn't want to volunteer their shared ride <laughs> services, people in their car. And so that turned into a for-profit company that's now a, a just focused exclusively on prescription delivery for, for companies. Um, and that's doing really well now too. Nice. Nice. I, I love to hear those creative solutions. Uh, you know, it's, it's, so easy to identify the problem. Um, it's not always that easy to come up with an elegant and and creative solution for that. But it sounds like that's kind of kind of what your wheelhouse is out there. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of pharmacists or uh, a lot of pharmacies that you would say, oh yeah, that's the MedSync guy or that's the whatever guy. Uh, it sounds like you're just the kind of let's do this in a in a different way guy. Yeah, my my whole soapbox is um, price transparency and pharmacists getting, you know, paid for cognitive services, just completely independent of the price of the drugs. And that's why we don't do, you know, we haven't done the insurance and the other stuff. Now we're getting into contracting with these employers and um, they're, it's, it's vindicating and seeing that the market is willing to pay for pharmacists. It's willing to pay well for pharmacist services. Um, we've been fighting over the crumbs at the table with dispensing when there's a blue ocean of opportunity to just do what we do and do, do it well. Um, the market values that service. So I'm super excited on that front. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, when, when you get to the table, like what kind of data are, are you showing them adherence data? Or are you showing them, uh, lab data or cost savings, uh, versus a medical spend? Yeah. So it is, it, that's been a five-year learning process as well. It is all about the cost that you got to come in the door with savings. They're like, don't, you've just got to come in and you better be measurable, uh, significant savings, uh, in which we do because we do the drugs at cost. And so we come in and we drop that pharmacy spend immediately. However, that's great the first year when we switch everybody off the PBM over to our plan, but how do we show savings the next year when well, they were on our plan last year, now they're on this year. We, where we go, where we're going with the group synchronization is that it actually has clinical benefit, documentable clinical benefit. We're going to reduce sick days, emergency room visits. We're going to reduce hospitalizations, readmissions, we're tracking, we get a percentage of the total savings and the total savings includes emergency room visits, avoided hospitalizations. That's the, that's the code. So when we sign a contract, it's a long-term contract. You're going to see this initial savings on the spend. We're going to bring that, but we're going to be here for a while in long-term you're you know, two and a half years down the road, we're going to start seeing avoided emergency room visits and we're going to use our transitional care program to avoid, you know, several readmissions here and there. I was about to say, after the first year, you would think the other entities' data is going to prove your points for you. Um, 
when they, when they start looking at all the other numbers. So, yeah, that's awesome. Well, we're creeping up on uh, the closeout time here. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and let you sneak off. I got one more personal question for you. Ribs and Memphis, dry or wet, dry or wet. And where, where are the best ribs? Oh man. Um, Neely's is my favorite down on third. All right. All right. Neely's I'm going to hit that up next time. I think I've been going to the tourist traps, man. Yeah. Rendezvous probably. <laughs> so that's where everybody gets told to go. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, I'd love to have you on sometime, do a webinar and kind of dive into some of the reports that you're using. Uh, so we'll talk about that offline. Thanks so much for joining us. If you haven't read uh, Rebel Talent, you're going to love this book. I'm going to have to send you a copy. Um, Rebel Talent is by uh, uh, Professor Francisco Gino. And uh, just an amazing book. You're going to love it. But uh, yeah, man, thank you so much for joining us and can't wait to do this again sometime. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Scripts, presented by the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please support our channel by liking, subscribing, and clicking the notification bell so that you'll be notified anytime we post new content. To stay up to date with all of the latest independent pharmacy news and content, follow Pioneer RX on your preferred social media platform.